Merry Christmas. I love those two words. Merry Christmas because it lasts for like five weeks. For some of you before Thanksgiving, it may be seven weeks. For some of you who uh, put ornaments up and Christmas trees before the pumpkins, um, it lasts for a little bit longer. I'm excited about this time of season for so many reasons. For one, we need to pray for each other. Everybody approaches Christmas a little bit different. This season sometimes brings hurt, loneliness. Maybe there's someone that you miss who've passed away. Maybe it's joy because of people coming to your house or you going to theirs. Or it's friends getting together. There's just on and on and on. We can talk about all the emotions that are surrounded in this one holiday. We need to pray for each other. That we're authentic, that we're genuine, that we live Christ first this Christmas. Robin mentioned in uh, the children's section about the little candle. In the third grade, in Miss Elsie Reeves' Sunday school class, we put together in 1970 a little candle with a ribbon, and we had a um, kind of a story to read and read Luke 2. That started a tradition for me and our family when I was in the third grade because I couldn't wait to Christmas Eve. In those days, we had carol candlelight service like uh, five days, six days beforehand. And so I couldn't wait to get to Christmas Eve where we could sit down as a family and light the candle and read the true Christmas story. I want to challenge you tonight to do that. This isn't a trinket. This is an opportunity for you to allow your kids, your family, to know your God. The Son of God comes. How important is He to you? An opportunity tonight to talk about it with your kids, with your family, with those who are gathering. Take a moment tonight and set that, side of time, that uh, time aside for you to be able to, um, to lift Christ. We um, <clears throat> decided to do family worship today, so don't get uptight. Uh, this is not a 45-minute message. How am I going to keep my kids quiet this whole time? Um, no, that's not what this is. This is a, a, a brief devotional on a hymn, our last hymn. We're in a series talking about the theology of our hymns called carols. And the hymn today is Joy to the World. Joy to the World is written by Isaac Watts. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. As you're turning there, let me briefly tell you, um, Isaac Watt actually put together a paraphrase version in two different sections of Psalm 98. And the second section is the one that we are familiar with in the song 
joy to the world that we sing here in America. Um, our text is Psalm 98, verse 4. Read along with me. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. What a powerful word. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. He will judge For he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. When Isaac Watt put together a paraphrased version of this psalm, many counterparts, contemporaries in that day, were trying to remember and memorize those paraphrased versions of Psalm 98. What a powerful message about the king is coming. He was trying to make readable, maybe some hard words to understand in those days. Another contemporary at the same time was writing a very famous Handel's Messiah. George Frederick Handel began to write and complete his Handel's Messiah during this same portion. And then folks would take some of those parts of the music and put together with the words of joy to the world. And that's the song that we know about today. Joy to the world is actually a song about the coming of the Lord. Both the birth and the second coming. More notably, the second coming which is surprising how much joy to the world is a Christmas carol. Because the first has already happened, the birth of the king. The birth of the king has already happened, and now we're anticipating what is to come. This time of year, we celebrate the birth of Christ. In Luke 2, 10 through 12, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will be of great joy to all people. Today your Savior was born in the town of David. He is the Lord, the Christ. This is how you'll know him. You'll find a baby wrapped in the pieces of clothing, lying in a feeding box or a manger. What's this him teaching us about this baby, the birth of a king. The first stanza of this hymn says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. The earth was ready. Nature was ready. For the king, the people were not. Many of the people of the day missed the Messiah. Nature did not miss the Messiah. 
Scripture teaches us that the rocks cry out in praise. The, the nature knows. The earth knows. The people here, some missed it. They missed the coming of the Christ. Did not even realize that was him. However, the earth did receive her king. Didn't mean that they accepted her king. But the king came. And that king is named Jesus. Jesus is here. And joy has arrived. Psalms chapter 98 that I just read in verses 4 and 6 talk about shouting with joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into songs and make music. Shout for joy to the Lord, the King. Shouting and making music is about the song. Number two, since joy is here, let's work to proclaim it. In verse two, it says, Joy to the world, the Lord, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Nature knows. The earth knows. And what we sing about is while men are putting together the songs that nature already knows, and we sing those songs, lifting our king in the resounding joy with nature, <clears throat> that we begin to understand the fullness of joy. In Philippians 4.4, 4, be full of joy in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I will say again, be full of joy. In Psalms chapter 16, it says, You'll teach me how to live a holy life. Being with you and fill me with joy at your right hand, I will find pleasure forever. The King is coming to help us understand how to live life. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's about 400 years of silence. Theologians all argue about that. We're not going to talk much about that tonight, today. But the excitement of the Messiah is coming after 400 years should have been an eye-opening experience. And typically, it was not, depending on which home you were in. When Jesus is our joy... Sin does not stand a chance. In the third verse, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. No more sin. No more sorrow. There will be a day when Jesus is coming, when all that goes away. The third verse is about the second coming for sure. The fountain and the blessings over and over again are in Jesus and through Jesus. He's the water you drink and you never thirst again. No more sorrow and no more sin. Number three, truth, grace, and love are found in Jesus. The final stanza says he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness 
and the wonders of his love. This points to scripture when God tells us that the nations one day will play an active role in revealing the authority of God. God gives authority and God takes away authority. And in the nations, proving the authority and the order is a part of this verse. Every poor decision, every mistake, every war, Every crisis, every calamity, every season, even prosperity, all for the glory of God. He will not share in his glory, though. And one day, soon, there will be a day when we can say he rules the world with truth and grace. One day, the nations prove And soon the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love are present, as David wrote in Psalms. The word became flesh, took up residence among us. We observed his glory, his glory as the one, the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. It's a hymn of both. The birth and the second coming of the Lord. Both are about the coming of Christ. We sing it sometimes from memory and don't even know what we're singing. The resounding joy should be on your heart, on your face, on your smile. That we can sing a day that's coming. Tomorrow, we celebrate the birth of the first coming, the birth of our Savior. When we're remembering the birth of our Savior, we can take a moment today to have a tangible remembrance of our Christ to submit for what God has done for us through Christ. A tangible moment through the Lord's Supper, through communion. And in 1 Corinthians, it tells us, Paul says to his people, do this from now on and proclaim the death of Christ. His birth signifies he has come to give us a way for salvation. And we celebrate that today. As our ushers are coming forward and our worship band's coming up, I want to ask you to, uh, to help us a little bit here. Parents, you can, um, you can help give us some judgment here. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is for all believers, not just a member of a church all believers in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of children in here, and parents, you help uh, legislate that to your, to your children. Thank you for, uh, for helping and assisting us in that. Uh, the plate is going to come by you, and when it comes by, there's two cups in there. If you'll grab one, uh, they're, they're stacked on top of each other. The juice is on the top. The bread and leaven is on the bottom. If you'll take those and just simply hold that until the appropriate time, 
and we'll give you instructions from that. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you before you. We remember a change of history. We remember a life lived that began at a birth. And we celebrate that today. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.